The reading is from Luke, chapter 15, verses 25 to 32. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you for that. Who here likes chocolate? I wonder. Oh, there's lots of people who like chocolate. Hmm. I wonder, are there some young people in the room who have decided to come to church rather than sit at home and watch an amateur game of football? Uh, no, is there, any, is there anybody young here who wants to come and have some chocolate? Yes, come on then. I need you to bring your sister with you, though. Yeah. So, who's stronger? Oh, it's unusual. Well, what we're going to do... You guys have done this before. You should have seen the carnage at the nine o'clock service. <laughs> Mrs. Smith took out Mrs. Johnson. It was glorious. Um, wow, there we go. That kind of ruined my thunder. Um, so I have a brother um, who is wonderful, is amazing, um, is a bit of a pain, to say the least. I love him dearly. I will defend him to the hilt. Uh, but I'll also make sure that he knows that he's wrong on every single occasion that I possibly can. I will keep him humble until the day I die. He will, he will not get an inflated sense of ego. That's why he had to move to Canada. He had to get out of the continent to make sure that he had a chance to get arrogant. Um, but um, I love this story of the prodigal son. This story here is actually the story of, of my relationship with my brother. So um, my brother was the, the younger son. Um, he's the older one in our family, but he's the younger one in this. He did everything he possibly could. We're, we're pastor's kids. 
uh, and uh, my brother left the church at the age of 13, uh, decided he would never darken the doorsteps ever again, uh, did you name it, he did it. Um, he was a stereotypical rugby player uh, in every sense of the word. He went off to university, so there were about 18 months between us. He went off to university. Now, I am the perfect Christian. Always have been, always will be. Um, and still learning to this day how to master humility. Um, my brother hasn't done a very good job with me. But, um, so I stayed behind. I, I stayed in the church. I, I loved my scripture. I remembered it. I, I would have deep theological conversations. Growing up in the Savage Army, you have titles. And people in the church used to call me the little lieutenant. And basically, that's because anybody who knows anything about pastor's kids is you're the one that has to move all the chairs in the church. You're the one that has to fold all of the newsletters. Everything, every minor job in the church, first of all, it goes to the pastor's kids um, because they're the ones who have to do it. I remember somebody once saying to me, I'd, I'd, I'd had an argument uh, with the, the bandmaster at, at my church uh, over uniform, as, as you do in the Salvation Army. And um, I wasn't very kind to him. I wasn't very polite to him. But afterwards, a, a nice old lady came to me and she said, I'm so disappointed with you. I couldn't believe it when, when the, the captain's son would do something like that. You should be ashamed of yourself. It just raises something in me um, that just because my dad signed up to say that he would lead a church, my mom and dad signed up to say they would lead, all of a sudden, I've got to be perfect. I, you know, it's so not fair. Well, this here is, is this story. My brother came back to faith at the age of 19, and uh, all of a sudden, everybody couldn't stop talking about Tim. It was all about Tim, how wonderful it was that he came back to faith, how wonderful it was that he wanted to give his life to God, how wonderful it was that he was going to become a church minister and serve, how wonderful, oh my word, how wonderful. Oh, it really did my, it really hurt me. And there were some very choice words between me and my brother, things that can't be repeated in um, polite company. And it, it really damaged our relationship for a long time because I got caught up in this thing of, I was here and you didn't bother. The only thing you bothered about with me was giving me more newsletters to fold or giving me more chairs to move. You expected perfection from me, but now my brother who went off and did who knows what with who know who, all of a sudden gets all the praise and all the glory. And so this story here for me is, is personal. So here we have, uh, we, if you listen to last week's sermon, that was all about the younger brother. This is all about the older brother, the best brother, the one who stayed, the one who remained, the one who's got nice strong muscles because he's been working the field. If you look at me, I was going to get a picture of my brother, but I forgot to. Um, my brother looks like me, but uglier and fatter. That's, that's it. Um, I, I got all the good looks. I got the, the, the muscular features, uh, I, you know. Um, I got the nice hair, you know. He just looks like a hobo that wanders around, I, you know. Um, but, yeah, this is, this is my life. And so what we've got here is the younger brother goes off. He does whatever he wants to with his father's inheritance, you know. I, I don't know about you, but if you had ever said to your dad, I wish you were dead, I don't know what would have happened to you. 
I know I probably wouldn't have sat down for a week as a youngster if I'd said that to my dad. But here we've got the younger brother, he gets his inheritance, he runs off, he goes and spends it on who knows what, doing who knows, you know, all this kind of stuff that, uh, living the life, living the dream, fast cars, uh, all the food he wants to eat. And then when he gets broke, he comes back to his dad, which is the life of every young adult, come back to their parents and grovel for the money that they've, they've squandered. You ask any university student and they'll tell you that within six months they've squandered their entire grant for the entire year. Um, but the this, this son is welcomed back. What gets me about this story is we learn that the brother, meanwhile the brother was out in the field. So the father's throwing a feast, brother was out in the field and he came home and heard the music and the dancing. He wasn't even invited to a party at his own house. Like, he was out doing his work and he came home and the party was already in full swing. Nobody thought to send the servants out to the field to say, come on, Jimmy, come home, because your brother's home. He had to learn about it because he was on the outside looking in. I don't know about you, but that would annoy me if all of a sudden I'd been doing all my stuff, got home, and there was a full party in swing. And it wasn't just a cheap party. They, they killed the fatted calf. They killed the most prized possession in the family. Father had gone to no expense spared. This son who had taken half of, the, half of the assets of the home, squandered them off, come back groveling, and he gets everything. I think we could probably look at the story and say, yeah, I can see. I can see what, what we've got here. I can see where the older brother's coming from. He was angry. And he, he throws a bit of a, a pout, sits outside, sits on his block. I'm not going into that party. I refuse to. And it all comes back to what should have been a beautiful illustration of siblingly rivalry. Of, I want what I can see, and I don't care what you can see. And this tug of war that should have been glorious. Oh, to parents who raise their children with grace and consideration. Oh, I'll let that one go now. Um, but actually, that's the thing. When, when, we, when we see things, we see what is good in our own eyes. We see what we want, and we, we go for it. Even in, even in our marriages, in all of our relationships. We'll see, and it's not necessarily from a bad place. Me and my wife will sometimes have arguments. We're, we're the perfect couple, and I know that my wife's always right, and so I'll go her way. Um, but no, we see things, and it's not, it's not because what we see is bad. It's not because we're looking at things and saying, oh, actually, that, that, that there is perfect for me. Sometimes it is, um, but often it's, it's those differences between, oh, What's right for us as a hilarity? And I, I want to try and serve my wife, and she wants to try and serve us, and so we'll end up in an argument because we're trying to serve each other. Nothing to do with any kind of rivalry, anything like that. Um, but actually, yeah, there, there's this tension, and you end up with this tug and this wrestle, and people can get hurt and harmed and maimed in trying to, to reach for these things, these aspirations of what we want. I want to quickly... Uh, go back to Genesis. I'm quickly running out of time. Um, but um, when Jesus was telling this story, he was telling this story to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees weren't bad guys. They were the Anglicans of their age. 
We often think in our age that Pharisee, they were the bad guys, but they were, these were the people who had given their entire life to read the scripture, to understand it, and to serve God in the best way that they could possibly do it. They went to, they went to the services every, every Sabbath, they, they did everything that they thought was right, and they tried to help other people to do that as well. You know, just natural. But when we look at the text, we, we give them a bit of a bad rep, you know. So try and put yourself in this, you know. Anybody who's been a long-term Anglican, you've come to, come to church and this is you. You're the Pharisee. Um, and that's not meant to offend. If it does, sorry about that. Um, but um, the Pharisees knew their Bible. And they knew the first, there's lots of family feuds in the Old Testament. Uh, we've got Joseph and his brothers. We've got Jacob and Esau. We've got um, Isaac and Ishmael, which is still a feud going on today in the Middle East. Uh, all these kind of things. The entirety of the Old Testament sets up this idea of a siblingly rival. And the first one we find, we find in Genesis 4, good old Cain and Abel. So we get uh, Cain and Abel, they come to God, they want to sacrifice. They want to give God something good. You know, how, how amazing is that? They want, to, they want to do what they're supposed to do. They want to offer their sacrifices. And so that's what they do. Uh, Cain was a, a farmer. He had wheat and fruit and all that kind of stuff. So he brought that and but that Abel brought a lamb because he was a he was a, a cattle herder, a, a rancher, um, uh, and we often read into this that Cain must have done something wrong, um, uh, because we read that God looked with regard at what Abel did, but He didn't look at regard for what Cain did, and so we try and infer. But the story doesn't actually ever tell us that; it just tells us that He looked with regard. He He, he looked at one, He just didn't look at the other. And, and this kind of gets Cain angry. And this is the conversation that God has with Cain. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Well, I think I would. If, if I come and I try to do something nice that I try to offer to God what I wanted to offer, what I felt I needed to offer, and God doesn't look at it, kind of just ignores it, um, I think I'd probably be angry and downcast. If you do what is right, you will be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Um, having children, it's, at the moment in time, my kids, it's easy to balance the attention for them. Um, easier, shall we say. You know, you look at the, the, the baby in arms when they're crying, and then you look at the toddler every other time. Um, you know, because uh, Phoebe isn't bringing me bits and pieces to do. She's not, she's not bringing me her artwork or anything like that. Uh, she calls me when she needs me. Uh, and every now and again, I might get coups and stuff like that. But Tobias wants my attention all the time. And actually, it's easy because I can give him that. I can, but as they get older, I'm sure I'm going to have this tension where actually they're pro probably both going to come into school with their pasta mache kind of artwork and stuff and I'm gonna to have to stick it on the fridge and look to Miz and be like wow yay but actually they're probably gonna do it at the same time and I'm gonna to have to try and be like well how do I balance this how do I show them both the attention that they need and want and this is the thing with God is okay he's better at multitasking than I am granted but he has to be he doesn't say to Cain I'm gonna reject your offering he just says at the moment of time I'm focusing on what Abel's doing I'll come to you in a second. I'm looking at regard with this. 
But what Cain faces is he faces envy, which is exactly what the older brother faces. How dare you give my brother the best, the fatted calf, and you haven't even given me a young goat. I don't know about you, but envy is one of those things I still struggle to overcome. How many times do we, do we go around and we look at church and we look and we say, why have they got that and I've only got this? Why, why, did, why does that person get this treatment and I only get this? Why? Why, why, why? We need to be celebrating with those who come into church who, who are saying to us the blessings of God upon their life. But I also want to suggest that we need to be aware of what other people are feeling in that. I'm not saying that we should hide it away. I'm not saying that we should, we should be embarrassed about the blessings of God in our life. But just aware. How many of us have been praying for something for years and years and years, and then all of a sudden, a brand new Christian comes in through the door, they've been here for 10 minutes, and they've received what we've been praying for. You know, how many years have we been praying for somebody to be healed from cancer that we know? And five minutes in the door, Mrs. Miggins, she comes in and she gets healed from cancer. You know, it, it just doesn't make any sense and it, envy rises up. You know, I work for British Gas. I don't get any of the profits from them. So the, the billions that they got this year, I, I haven't seen a penny of it yet, except from in my pay packet. Um, but actually, you know, Chris O'Shea for the, next, for the last two years has refused his... Um, his bonus um, of 14 million pounds. Now, how much money does he have to be given for his job to be able to refuse 14 million pounds? I'll probably never even see that in my entire lifetime of work. I get envious that somebody can turn around and refuse that level of bonus because they're so well paid, and yet I'm doing something which is, I'm working hard, I'm doing what I need to be doing, but I don't see a penny of that. I, you know, I get paid what I get paid. It sneaks up on us in so many different ways. And so we need to be aware. We need to challenge that. We need to say, envy, you are a sin crouching at my door, and I don't want any part of you in my life. And that needs our brothers and sisters in Christ to come to us and say, in gentleness, do you think that's envy just crouching at the door? You, through Christ, have the authority to rule over it. So in Christ, rule. Amen.